0: Good morning, church. The Bible reading will be from Luke 18, verses 9 to 14. That's Luke 18, verses 9 to 14. It reads as follows To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to the heaven but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. This is the word of God.
1: Well, good morning again, church, Um, for those who are joining us uh, for the first time. um, Again, my name is Black, and you've joined us. Uh, on our first week of a series that uh, is titled Anthem of, or Anthems of the Age, where we take a popular song in our culture, a song that most of us know, a song that might have impacted our lives, um, and we really try and explore what the message of that song is. Uh, This is content that we engage with on a daily basis, um, but we want to hear what Jesus has to say uh, to us uh, about the message of these particular songs that we're going to be looking at Uh, And hopefully, if you're sitting here today, you've been invited um, and you don't know who Jesus is, you don't know anything about this church thing, Um, I'm praying and hoping uh, that today's song will be uh, an easy gateway for you, and especially as we open up God's Word, uh, for you to meet the Jesus of the Bible. Uh, We're very passionate about Jesus at this church. Uh, We don't believe that anything else in this world saves or is as important as Jesus. Um, And so if you don't know Jesus... We are praying hard, I am praying hard, and I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to help us as we open up his word, uh, that you would know Jesus for yourself, personally, not because of your grandmother or your uh, family or whoever invited you, uh, but for yourself personally. And there's no more important conversation we should be having uh, as, uh, as this one uh, with uh, who Jesus is to us. So let me pray uh, when we bow our heads and I'll ask the Holy Spirit to, to help us. Holy Spirit, we ask that you really empower our hearing, open up our hearts, especially for us who who don't know who Jesus is, who are not in a relationship with Jesus, that today we would have an honest and hard look at our own hearts and see where we stand with this God, the only God. And that as your word is open, as we uh, go through this song in Galagat, that you would use all of that to make the picture of Jesus much clearer for us. I pray for all of these things in your wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Um, I'm going to start off with a quote by Danny Kay. He is uh, a popular South African musician who worked on a collaborative album with Mendoza in the early 2000s. And this is what he had to say about this icon. I quote, once in a while arrives an artist that manages to transcend color, culture, language, or bias. In my lifetime, I cannot think of a better example of this than Umtutuzi admin Shabalala, a.k.a. Mendoza. He did for South Africa what every politician was trying to do, he managed to unite us. He managed to unite us through music. End of quote. Nkalagata, what is it? Who is it? Well, to answer that question, here are two things. One, a word. Secondly, a baseline. The word, Nkalagata the song multiple times throughout the song it's a deep zulu word that means the following the one who's in control the boss the one who rules all the top dog the main man the guy who knows what's going on at any given time nobody just wakes up and decides to be inkalakatha this is next level stuff and in the song umandoza declares himself as inkalakatha Affirming his might and status not only as the king of Kwaito, but in all areas of his life effectively. Ui nkalagata, he's nkalagata. The bass line, this distorted organ bass line that almost sounds as though it's overly saturated, like it's gonna tear through your speakers as you listen to it. It sits underneath this growling lyric, ngalagata. The first time you hear it, it just hits you and takes over your whole body that you're to give a physical response. If not, you give the classical head tilt of disbelief <laughs> at this otherworldly sound that you're experiencing. Your soul just cannot resist it. It draws you in. There's this powerful, courageous, energetic roar. You can go get it kind of attitude that just drips off from this baseline. It just envelops all of you. Two things. The word in Kalagata and this impossible-to-believe baseline woven together have captured the hearts and imaginations of thousands, if not, in fact, millions of people, not only in our country, but everywhere else in the world. Two worlds. Izola, I Fishhook, Cape Town. Maybe Ngalagata was destined to transcend worlds because this hit track was birthed and cooked by two figures who came from two polarized worlds that exist in one single country. Gabby Leroux, who is the producer of this hit track, was born and grew up in the north of Johannesburg to Christian parents who were ministers of a local church where Gabby learned how to play the piano. The other side of Johannesburg, in the south of Johannesburg, there was Mdutuzi Shabalala, a.k.a. Mendoza, who grew up in one of South Africa's oldest and biggest townships Soweto. Like many black boys in the township, he grew up with his mother and his grandparents without a present father. And so this father wound became a limp that shaped how he moved for the rest of his life. And to draw the contrast even further, in his younger years, Gabby Leroux pursued a law degree, which he later dropped out from to pursue a career in music. Olu Mendoza found himself on the wrong side of the law, got himself entangled in a life of crime very early on in his life, with hopes of finding belonging, but also with a desperation of wanting to provide for his family, to provide for his siblings. And fast forward to the year 2000 when this young solo kwaito artist wanted to make a mark for himself. And not only that, he was still driven by this desire to provide and uplift and help his family and his community at large. And so Umandoza reaches out to his producer friend, Gabby LaRue, who for years has been working with Mpakanga artists in rural KZN. And so Gabby knows something experientially, but also intuitively because he's an artist. He knows the makeup of the mind of how African artists function. And so then Gabby invites this boy from Ezola to come down to Cape Town in Fishhook, where he had moved to. And just let that sink in. This thuggish, rugged, gangster song was produced in Fishhook, Right? You didn't think South Africa is special. Like, think again, right? (laughs) Let that sink in. And so the story is told of Umtuduzi, a.k.a. Mendoza, who had recently become a father for the first time. And this pressure that he's felt all his life to provide and to take care, he was feeling that pressure, a pressure to be the father that he had never had. But this time around, that pressure weighed a little bit heavier than normal. In fact, some even say that he wore that pressure, like in Galagata, before he even professed to be in Kalagata on the microphone. In fact, his wife describes his state of mind leading up to the making of the song, and she says, I quote, After his son was born, he went to Cape Town, Fishhook, to make a future for his family. End of quote. And so, Church, I stand here this morning. As a black boy myself who grew up in a township, not having a present father for the past 20 years, having to see my mother and my siblings in hard circumstances, and now as a husband, as a father myself, I know that pressure. I feel that pressure. I wear that proverbial jacket, as it were. And all of us in this room wear that kind of jacket as well. Of course, in varying degrees, But again, if you knew, you've been invited, somebody brought you to church, you have no relationship with Jesus, you know nothing about church, and you've been avoiding this conversation for a long time. I wonder what jacket you came in with this morning. I wonder what jacket you're wearing. Are you wearing a jacket of provision as well, where you feel the same pressure that Umandoza was feeling, where everything rests on your shoulders? You have to provide for yourself, your family, and your community. You have to rely on your skills, your abilities, your capabilities, and everything else so that you can make a life, not only for yourself, but as many people that you are carrying. Is that the jacket that you walked in with this morning? Maybe not that, but you walked in wearing a jacket of deep insecurities. You feel worthless. You feel unimportant. You feel undervalued. You have to be a people pleaser. You have to tell lies so that you are accepted. Is that the jacket you came in wearing? Or maybe you are wearing a, a jacket of guilt. You've done some wild things in your life. Hence, you've been avoiding church. Hence, you've been avoiding whoever invited you to come to church this morning. There's things that you're embarrassed about that you won't even tell your friends. You can't even tell your spouse you're sitting by the gallery you're a teenager can't even tell your friends or your parents about some of the things that you've done and even now you're probably just trembling thinking i'm in church and god probably knows the wild things i've done is that the kind of jacket that you are wearing this morning so all of us come in with some form of jacket church don't turn to your neighbor and look at them what jacket are you wearing this morning Don't think, hey, I probably need to tell somebody about this amazing message of of jackets. What jacket are you wearing? What's the jacket that you came in with this morning? It's back to Undozen. There he stands with a jacket on his shoulders. This jacket to provide. This jacket to, to be a father. And so he has a choice. Does he go back to his life of crime does he keep on moving at the same pace that he's been moving with his or does he level up? Does he boss up? Does he become
0: listen
1: to what Danny K, his friend, says about him that adds color to this moment in his life. And I quote, he says, the Mendoza I knew was not the rough-voiced in his records. Skelegeke is a thug. He was soft, humble, sensitive, and above all, a family man. He loved his family more than anything, and they loved him, end of quote. So he had to boss up. He had to level up. And that's how and why Nkala was created. The song that transcended culture, color, language, and bias. A song that's heard everywhere. fact, if you don't believe me, we're going to play a video of how the song really touches everybody's life, right? The guys at the top are going to play it for us, and then we'll come back to continue. All I'm saying is, after that, Royden and Eddie have no excuse. Uh, we're taking you to the hood next week, Saturday. It's a date, right? Let's do this. But as you've seen, church, this is definitely an anthem, an anthem of, of our age. In fact, listen to what Pieter van Zell of the U Magazine says when he describes this song. He says, the power track is all but our nation's unofficial national anthem, known and loved by South Africans from all walks of life. In the year 2000, when this song was released, um, it got over eight awards in that single year. It sold over 350,000 copies in the first year. And subsequently, it went 12 times platinum, which means it sold an additional 600,000 uh, copies. Most of our national sports teams have used Nkalagata. In fact, uh, people in the streets say that if it, if it wasn't for Nkalagata, we wouldn't have won the last two Rugby World Cups, right? Um, <laughs> see, the sound of this growling voice and this distorted organ can be heard from farms as far as the Free State to the boardrooms of corporate SA, all the way to deep rural KZN, at weddings, at bar, mitzv- bar mitzvahs, at graduation ceremonies. And obviously, in is a hood classic. It's a Gussie classic. There's no township on South African soil that hasn't and still doesn't play in Galagata. And I have a note from Black South Africa to White South Africa. Um, Black like people just want to say, white people, we've created other songs uh, <laughs> since since Inkalagata. So uh, at the next corporate event, I'm not smiling <laughs> when you say Speaso, there's Nkala Gata, right? We're done. This is it, we're bearing it today, right? There's many other songs we've made, right? Thank you. But what is the the lyrical content of Incalagata? Kalagata is a classic kwaito song, quintessential kwaito song. There's two kinds of kwaito songs. Um, number one, it's a kwaito song that focuses on a word or a phrase. That phrase or word is repeated over and over and over again. And any other accompanying lyrics are really to fill up the empty space of the song. Okay, They mean nothing. As a listener, don't try and decipher them or understand you're going to hurt your brain. That's kwaito. Just repeat the one thing and dance. Right? That's it. Another kind of quite the song is what we find here in Ngalagat. Again, one word, one phrase that's repeated over and over again. But all the other accompanying lyrics sp- sp- uh, rather fill the message of that one phrase or that one uh, word. So they give more meaning to that. In fact, you see it in the handouts with the lyrics. Um, if you just go through the lyrics of the first verse or the second verse, it's all repeated over and over and over again, simply and essentially what Umandoza is saying, I'll I'll just uh, summarize it for us. Whoever has an opinion about me must jump into the ring with me. Tell me what your problem is and we'll settle it. Whoever has an opinion about me, jump into the ring with me. Tell me what your problem is and we'll solve it. But obviously, it's not said as politely as I'm saying it, right? It has a threatening tone, and the texture of Mendoza's voice basically says, who dares step into the ring with Ingalagat? Nobody. No one. But we can shift our focus away from Mendoza and think about ourselves in the room. Again, you knew, you invited, know nothing about this Jesus guy. What's appealing about this song? The thing that's appealing about this song is that there's an Galagata that lives in all of us. Even if you don't know until today what the lyric kalagata meant, but again, you are drawn by this courageous, raw, powerful energy of this baseline that will inevitably awaken the kalagata in you. There's an kalagata that lives in all of us, regardless of how that kalagata came to be. That nkala gata might have come to be because of the pressures of life. That nkala gata might have come to be because of your upbringing and you grew up in lack. Or that Nkalagata is purely there because you are self-involved. You are self-obsessed. Regardless of how your Nkalagata exists, all of us sitting in this room have a Nkalagata inside of us. You might be sitting here and you say, well, you don't know my life. Don't presume that there's Nkala Gata who lives in me. You're right. I don't know your life. But one thing I know is the human condition. I know what life looks like for people who live that life outside of God. You set yourself up as in Galagata. You have to set yourself up as in Galagata because you don't trust the one and only boss, king, ruler, who knows everything and is in charge of everything. The might have come because of pressure. Pressure of life, of family, of finances. You want to stand up for yourself and show the world that you won't be taken for a ride. Church, contrary to popular belief, snakes are not just slithering trying to attack humans. But when snakes are cornered, when they're pressured, when they feel threatened, they strike back, they show you who's in Kalagata, who's the king cobra. And that might be the attitude or feeling that colors your whole life right now. That's the posture that you've taken. You've put up your guards. You are in Kalagata to shield yourself from the world. Or your Kalagata might have come up because of upbringing or lack. You put on a front. You've moved from where you moved from and now you live in Joburg. You want to surround your life with material and physical things and positions. Because you cannot let people find out where you're from, how you grew up, the family you come from, the level of brokenness that you have to deal with. You work hard. You're the first one in the office. You're the last one out because you are buried under the supposed need to want to keep up with the trends of Joburg. You want to appear as in Kalagata. Is there because you're self-obsessed. You're just so self-involved. You generally think of yourself more highly than you ought to. You tend to think that you are better than most humans. That might be because of the money you have, your financial status, you, you're well off. And anyone who's not as financially uh, well off as you deem acceptable, that person is not allowed to breathe the air that you breathe. You might think of yourself more highly and you ought to, because you have an overinflated view of your own race, and anyone doesn't look like you, a subhuman. They can't reason, they can't think, they can't be organized. Why? Because they're those people, they're not your people. You might consider yourself more morally superior than other people, again because you have a very warped view of your own self. Righteousness, regardless of how your nkalagata exists, it exists. And here's one thing I'll tell you before we get to the Bible to hear what Jesus has to say about nkalagata. Every single nkalagata will fall one day. All nkalagatas come to the end of themselves, all nkalagatas fall at the end of the day. Being in for whatever reason you've put up is not sustainable. Trust me again, you're not as invincible as you think you are. You're not as in control as you think you are. You're not as in charge as you think you are. Um, Doza himself found that, hard, uh, found that out in a very hard way. And worse off, the family that he was working for had to take the hardest blows when he became in Kalagata. Listen to what his wife says. Umpo Shabalala. And I quote, The biggest change came... When Kalagata was released, it brought a lot of good things in our lives. It took a bit of Umtuduzi from us. We never got to see him a lot. The girls throwing themselves at him, it got too much for him. He was troubled by keeping up with the demands of being a Galagata. The success of Nkalagata took him away from his family. The country and the world had Umandoza, and we lost. End of quote. Every Galagata falls. At the end of the day, all Galagatas fall. And so the question is not will they? No, the question is when will your gather fall? There's no other better day than today. To surrender your gatha. If you don't know Jesus, that today you would take off your proverbial jacket. Whatever ngalagata you put on, put that at the feet of Jesus and surrender your life and give yourself to the one and only true ultimate boss, king, ruler, the true ngalagata. What does that ngalagata have to say about other ngalagatas? That piece of paper that was on your seats. If we could just flip, flip that. And hear what Jesus' thoughts are. When it comes to inkalagat. Like Again, if you're new to this church thing, what you have before you is an extract from uh, the gospel of Luke or the book of Luke. Luke, And it's a book that's found in the New Testament section of the Bible. Luke was a historian, physician, who took time to interview eyewitnesses. and People who saw Jesus firsthand and he researched other written materials so that he can compile this orderly account of the life and ministry of Jesus so what you have before you in Luke 18, 9-14, is a real moment recorded for us where Jesus is teaching. Teaching what God thinks of ink alagat. And the Bible constantly affirms Jesus as God. And so when we get Jesus' thoughts, we get in God's thoughts. What does God think about ink Verse 14b. We'll go straight to the conclusion and then we'll work our way back up. What does Jesus think of inkalagata? Verse 14b reads as follows, For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And so what Jesus is saying to every single inkalagata in this room If you consider yourself in Galagata, you have confidence in yourself. You have confidence in your abilities, your connections. You have confidence in your your race. You have confidence in your wealth. Trust yourself. You set yourself up as the king, as the ruler, as the boss, as the one who's in charge of your life and ultimately everyone else's life that you look down upon. That's the attitude of your life, to trample over everybody. And ultimately, that kind of attitude leads you to one place where you totally disregard God all together. Why? Because you've set yourself up as inkalagata. Verse 14b says this, God is going to humble you. Sounds hard. I'm not threatening you at all. Again, if you knew, I don't know you. The most loving thing I can do for you standing up here is tell you this truth. If you don't give yourself up to God... He will humble you. Mendoza himself says, if you want to test in Kalagata, get in the ring with Nkala And so God is saying to you in verses 14, are you going to get in the ring with him? I would advise you not to. I would advise you to surrender now. Give your life to him now. On the other hand, Jesus speaks of those who humble themselves, and then he will exalt. What does that mean? It's those who will relinquish, get rid of, throw away any confidence in themselves, in your ability, in your resources, and in your intellect, and in your skill, in yourself. Trust God fully. And God promises that he will exalt you. He will give you purpose. He will give you meaning. He will give you worth. He will give you value beyond monetary and physical things. Why? Because God will give you himself. When he moves you from a place of being humble, he draws you to himself. He exalts you, brings you up to himself. There's nothing else that's more important in your life than being in a relationship with Jesus. Not your career, not your next move, not your promotion, not the next house you're going to buy, the next car you're going to live in, the next holiday you're going to go to, whatever next day you're going to start dating, None of that stuff will ever satisfy you, will ever give you true meaning, will ever mean, shape your life in a way that God intended it to be other than God himself. Humble yourself and he will exalt you, bring you close to him. That's the conclusion. What does Jesus think of in Kalagata? He's going to deal with them. You don't want to let Jesus deal with you. Trust him now. Give your life to him now. Verses 9. Let's go back to verses 9. Why does Jesus even start this um, teaching? Why does he even give this parable? Verses 9 says, To some who were confident of their own righteousness, religious ngalagatas, who looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. So Jesus' whole teaching is for people who are self-reliant. That's you today. People who are self-dependent, people who are self-obsessed. And so the question Jesus is asking you from verses 9, have you exalted yourself? Have you placed yourself on the throne that only belongs to God? Have you done that because you don't trust Him? Have you done that because you haven't given your life to Him? Verses 10, he gets into this parable. What is a parable? Well, a parable is a story that's used to uh, illustrate or even draw our attention to the point of a particular teaching. Verses 10, there are two men. We're told, listen to what verses 10 says. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. What's a Pharisee? So, religious in Galagat. Listen to this quote that describes the heart of what a Pharisee is. It says, and I quote, one ancient rabbi was an example of this kind of Pharisaical pride when he said, If there were only 30 righteous persons in the world, I and my son would be two of them. But if there were 20, I and my son would be of that number. If there were only ten, I and my son would be of that number. If there were only five, I and my son would be of the five. And if there were but two, I and my son would be those two. And if there were but one, myself should be that one. End of quote. Everyone else is dirt compared to you. You might sit here and think, Jassy, bro, but that's a bit harsh, man. I'm not that arrogant. That's not me. I accepted the invites. I'm sitting here. I came to church. Well, here's what arrogance is. It's any form of trust that you have outside of God. And that form of trust is directed to yourself, your abilities, your resources, your talents, and everything else. You're sitting here this morning, and Jesus is not your Lord. He does not call the shots in your life. He does not set the agenda. He's not the king of your life. Then you have arrogantly convinced yourself that you run your own life. You have exalted yourself, and God says, humble yourself this morning. Trust him. There are two men in this parable. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. Who was the tax collector? Tax collectors were considered the worst of all people. They stole from their own people. They charged extra taxes. They worked for the colonizing government, the Roman Empire. And so their own people hated them. They thought they were traitors. They were impi If you're a tax collector, you are considered the scum of the earth. So why does Jesus put this text collector with this Pharisee? Well, from two men, we find two prayers. The first prayer is in verses 11 and 12. Listen to what the first prayer says. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers. And even like this text collector, I fast twice a week and I give a tenth all I get. On the surface, this seems like a prayer that's directed to God, but upon investigation, you realize that this religious is only praying to himself. And you might think you've been praying to God if you've been praying prayers like this. and Jesus is saying to you this morning, surrender your life. You've been praying to yourself. How do we know he's praying to himself? Well, for short pieces of evidence. One, he repeats the word I four times in this whole prayer. This is a declaration about himself and not God. Secondly, he considers himself as the standard of morality. and church, it's easy to think everyone else is worse when you are the standard of what is right and good. Number three, he elevates himself by looking down on the text collector. He uses the phrase or the term this text collector, to distance himself and separate himself because it's not like this text collector. It's a derogatory way of speaking, this text collector. As much as he might have done wrong things, but if you have an overinflated view of yourself, you'll think you are the standard of what is right to determine how wrong that text collector is. Number four, he says that he fasted twice a week. You might think to yourself, well, what's wrong with that? Well, history tells us that those two days in a week were Monday and a Thursday. Monday and a Thursday, the city of Jerusalem is full of people. And so then he would wear messy clothes, make his mouth look super dry so that he would look more religious in front of people. So he's doing all these religious gymnastics for himself, not God. Are you like this this morning? Is this you? I would urge you not to rely on yourself. To turn away from your own morality. Turn away from your own self-confidence. Turn away from doing life in your own terms, work on your own terms, relationships on your own terms. Turn to God today. Trust him, give your life to God. Be like the second prayer. The second man, the tax collector, in verses 13, listen to what it says. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his chest and said, God have mercy on me, a sinner. Two prayers. The first prayer is flowing and dripping with eloquence and spiritual performance, but it's full of lies to self and to God. And here comes the second prayer that's done in fear, in trembling, knowing that you're actually approaching With awkwardness, but it's full of honesty to God and self. In fact, the second prayer has fewer words, but it has more meaning. The text collector rightly sees himself for who he is. Look at his prayer. How does he end it? The last word, he calls himself a sinner. He knows he's considered the scum of the earth. He knows his crimes. He knows he's guilty. He's not trying to hide it. He brings himself before God. He surrenders himself to the judge. He does not puff himself up. He does not use the money he stole to shield himself. He could be a financial in this moment, but he chooses not to. He knows that opulence means nothing to a God who has everything. See, the Pharisee relied on his own power, his own deeds before God, but the text collector relied on the mercy and the compassion of God. He recognized that he's a sinner who needs God. Please do not trust yourself. Recognize that you're a sinner who needs God this morning and turn your life and give yourself to him. Don't trust in your power. Listen to what the text collector does. He beats his chest. This is a sign to say that the heart that lives inside his chest is evil. And he knows that that heart deserves all the punishment that it deserves. And it's going to get. And so he goes before God. And he accepts whatever he's going to get from God because he knows that God is good and God is just. Beat your chest today. Tell God you don't want to no longer be ruled by the heart that's in your chest. And you want to give it to him. Be like the text collector. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. We're all sinners. Come clean today. And if you don't want to listen to me, at least listen to our day's greatest philosopher, Frozen. Let it go. Let it go. Let this be the day where you let it go. Take off the jacket you came with. Let your go. Trust in God. In conclusion, started off with two things, a word and a baseline. Two worlds, a Zola and Fishhook. We saw two men, a Pharisee, a tax collector. We saw two prayers, One that's full of religious gymnastics and one that was honest, humble, and contrite before God. At the end, there's only one man who left justified. Verses 14a, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. My heart says that you would walk out of this building justified. What does justification mean? Well, it means... That you change your condition, your standing. You move from a state of sin into a state of righteousness. That today you would walk out of here justified. That you would move away from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. That today you would walk out of here justified. You would stop trusting in yourself, your own standard, and how you see the world. But you would turn to the one and only true and trust his standard, his measure of what life is. Today, you would live trusting in your own worth and trust in the value and the worth that you find at the cross of Jesus. Today, you would no longer identify with everything else that's around you, your family, your work, your creativity, how you look, where you live, but you'll be identified as a Christian, a follower of Jesus, one who gives him or herself to the one and only true Nkalagata. Pray that you would walk out of here justified. Be like the tax collector. Pray for mercy. The Bible makes it very clear that the mercy of God is Jesus himself. When you offer yourself to the judge, you deserve the punishment. If God is going to be just, what do you think he does with the punishment? It doesn't disappear in thin air. Somebody has to take it. And Jesus takes your punishment. Turn to him. Trust him. He took it all. He handled it all. God's wrath and justice is satisfied ultimately in Jesus for you. Let it go. Trust Jesus. You're not in Kalagata. And if Royden invited you, you probably can't even pronounce it. So you're not in Kalagata. Let it go. Let it go. Be like this tax collector this morning. I'm going to pray. And if you want to let go of your jacket. You want to be called a child of God and no longer in Galagat. That you would pray this prayer. That you would give your life to Jesus this morning. I'm going to be up front. Rafa will be here. Royden will also be here if you want to come chat to us. If that's you, and you've given your life to Jesus this morning. So let's bow our heads. Just repeat this prayer in the quietness of your own heart. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And I ask for your forgiveness and compassion. I believe you died for my sins. Taking on my punishment upon your shoulders. This morning, I turn from my sins. I take off my ngalagata jacket and ask that you would clothe me in your righteousness. Take hold of my heart and life. I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Savior. Lord Jesus, we are grateful that you've made it clear to us who you are. That you've made it clear that we cannot set up our own thrones, our own kingdoms. Because every single square inch of this universe, you look at and you scream, mine. Because all of it does belong to you and no one else. And we have the privilege of enjoying it as your creation. But for us who have given our lives to you, we get to enjoy this as your children with you. So I pray, thanksgiving for making yourself come alive to us through your word. And for anyone else who's given their lives to you today, Jesus, we want to celebrate with the rest of heaven as one sinner turns away from this themselves and they come to you. So thank you. Thank you. For this series, thank you that we can engage with the world around us. In John 17, you you tell us that you've left us in this world so that we can engage this world as you draw some of your sheep to yourself. So thank you for that. We pray in thanksgiving for all of these things. In your wonderful name we pray. Amen.